As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The sound of Vicarage Road after a fantastic home win. And even better, a fantastic home win on the first game of the season. This is from the Recurrenda podcast about life following Watford Football Club, brought to you by The Athletic. My name is John. With me is Mike. Hey, hello, John. (laughs) And Jason. Hi there, guys. I've just about got my voice back, I think. Yeah, there was a lot of good singing, as we could hear on that clip. Mike, you know, we, we, we've, you know we can, we've heard how special the game was there. We'll talk about the ins and outs of the football. But yesterday at Vicarage Road, it was just a very, very special day. It was. It was. It's something that I think a lot of people have been looking forward to for a long time. And it kicked off in a really nice way. Actually, I woke up and uh, was speaking to Arlo and he said, Dad, I cannot believe I'm going to the football again. And I just thought, what a, what a fantastic experience what a lovely thing to share and what a lovely thing to know is that he's he's as excited as the rest of us you know that youthful um, exuberance and that spilled over into the into the day itself I, with my duties I had to be at Vicarage Road early I was there probably quarter past 20 past 12 and there was a fair amount of people there already there was people having their photo taken by that brilliant new um, Graham Taylor mural that people been there just to get the program the people just wandering around Vicarage Road with big smiles on their faces, people in the shop, and this was almost three hours before kickoff, uh, and it was just lovely to see everyone. And to a man, woman, and child, everyone was smiling. Everyone had that sort of knowing look, sort of little nods to each other, little knowing glances that that we're back. And then as as the stadium filled up, I was in the back of the Elton John stand, so I could see uh, almost a time lapse of the of the stadium filling up, and you could see people 
finding their seatmates again and just sort of greeting mm. each other. And you know for a fact that some of them probably don't know each other's names. They know each other as R64 because that's the seat they're in or whatever. <laughs> and just the shaking of hands. Some was just a little sort of thumbs up. Thumb was a cuddle. Some was a cuddle. Um, there was fist bumps. But just seeing everyone come back together and in the sunshine, Vicarage Road looked an absolute picture. And of course, Watford's performance was a was a piece of art as well in the end, wasn't it? But it was just a, a magnificent and just a really warm, fulfilling, great, great day. It was it was superb. Jason, did you have any good vibes? Did you, did you feel the, the fantastic performance of the big win? Did you feel it coming in the morning? In the morning, yeah, I, th- I think I did. It, 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 Saturday... There was a certain air of normality about it, whatever normal is these days. But um, this Saturday, I'd sort of started early, got out, uh, went and did park run in Casbury Park with our good friend Kieran Tavum. Um, and sort of walking through the town to and from, there were Watford shirts, people out early, sort of getting into town early, ready for the first game of the season. Um, I think the, the the plastic butcher outside Gibson's on the, on the uh, high street had his Watford scarf on. Uh, pubs were open for breakfast maybe something stronger if you if you're keen to get going early um and it and it felt good and then sort of walking uh walking home i have to come through watford fields and and none other than lloyd doily was there doing one of his kids coaching sessions so it was great to see him and that just sort of gave me another little lift seeing that legend in action again just gave me a positive feel about the day yeah because jason you know we haven't spoken to you for a couple of weeks about how you're feeling about it what was it was giving you a little bit of unease do you think this you going into this game earlier in the week I was sort of thinking looking at our transfer business looking at our pre-season preparation looking at what others had done and and it all just felt a little bit disjointed particularly the whole thing that happened around the Barnsley game the friendlies that we'd got and I know sort of some of the, a lot of these circumstances were out of our hands but then you look at the lineups that had played in these games there didn't seem to be any sort of consistency to the players we were using and some players you thought might have got more minutes, not getting many minutes. And the fact that we had won promotion two weeks before the end of the season, I thought that would give us a head start ahead of other clubs. And it just didn't feel like we'd use that to our advantage at all. And that caused me um, a sort of a lot of concern leading into the new season. Well, you were wrong, Jason. Let's talk about this game. Let's talk about it. And, you know, let, let, let's talk for you. Know, back, back to front. Why not? You know, because, Mike, we saw the, the debutante uh, of Emmanuel Dennis. Wasn't really part of our conversations when we were talking with Adam in the week and who we, we thought would be starting. That, that starting 11 we put together seemed very confident. And, and you know, I looked at that. That with questions, of course, not quite sure because we haven't seen Dennis. I didn't really see him do a lot in the preseason games I'd watched. And you sort of go, well, I'm actually quite excited because my trust in Cisco is high. And the minute you start thinking, well, if he knows him really well, what what have they got? What have they been hiding? What has he got up his sleeve? And it didn't take long at <laughs> all, did it, for the 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 Dennis and Sar show. To, to take off absolutely not no it was it was fantastic and I need to give credit to my to my brother because in the various groups uh, talking Watford on 
online, most people were sort of talking about the the defensive side of things with with what looked like Cathcart starting on the uh, right back. But my brother sort of picked up on Emmanuel Dennis and Ismail Assar playing up top, and he said, "Well, this could be really exciting, much like you, John." And I think it's interesting that we're talking about Emmanuel Dennis. It's interesting that he's come to the fore, especially in light of what Jason just said, because we were all feeling a little bit like that, a little bit unsure about how this squad was going to meld together and mesh and, and perform. And Emmanuel Dennis was sort of the forgotten man, really, of our of our transfer business, wasn't it? And and DCW in our from the Rookery and group said I keep forgetting about him but he's actually a serious player and it's like oh yeah he is isn't he so when he was on the on the team sheet yesterday there was that little free sort of excitement and it didn't take long for that excitement or the hope or the promise of excitement to come to fruition did it because I thought Dennis and Saar together and I use this word a lot to people I saw after the game yesterday so apologies if you saw me after the game and I use this word but I thought they were absolutely electric together they fed off each other I think Dennis proved to be the perfect foil for Saar and vice versa I think they fed off each other they're both quick strong tricky and they seem to be on the same wavelength very very early and allowed us to take the game to to Aston Villa. You know, I don't know how um, I don't know how Matt Target's feeling. Well, I probably know how Matt Target's feeling today. Not great. He will have cancelled and matched the day off the planner. He's probably cancelled his Sky Sports <laughs> subscription just in case he he happens across that first forty minutes because Watford basically trampled all over him. Ismail Assar in particular. But I think just that the dynamic between those two is an absolute joy to behold, and we haven't really had someone like Dennis playing through the middle for for a long long time. And he's he's like I say tricky. Um, could get away from a man, um, picked a pass nicely, was picking out Saar. And just the way they played together was so, so exciting. And the, the fact they combined um, to put us 2-0 up after, what was it, 40 minutes or so, was was just reward. It probably could have even been a, been a little bit more. But those two, it was just... On top of everything else we talked about, playing great attacking football as well. It was it was superb and yeah, a great great um, a debut from Dennis. I think he will be a one to watch because he went down a couple of times early, didn't he? Sort of, is he in really injured? You get that feel about him, don't you? That he could be um, he could he could be quite a character, shall we say? But yesterday, brilliant, and I can't wait to see more of him this season. Finally, a striker could keep up with Ishmael Assar um, and, you know, the, the pace in that, that, as you said, Mike, was, was massive. Behind them, uh, Jason, was, was two new boys in midfield. Um, Uri Kuchka, who I'm just going to call Uri, um, just for my ease of life, uh, and also Pete, Peter Etebu, uh, along with the uh, Tom Cleverley. How was that midfield? What was, why was that different? Where was the... They all sort of shone, but was Uri the, the, the main one that really made a difference for you? I don't know if he was the main if he was the main one or I'm going to start with with Peter Atebo because he impressed me first I think I think I noticed him before I noticed um Kushka just just the way he was he sort of held that defensive midfield position and the way he sort of commanded that area of the pitch and his ability to sort of intercept those villa or attempts at villa attack I think the, the way we played generally the way we defended generally and this is not just about the midfield Tom Cleverley was captain 
um, yesterday. And you could see as soon as we lost possession, he was calling everyone back into shape. We regrouped really quickly and we sort of turned more into a sort of 4-1-4-1, a very compact 4-1-4-1, leaving no space between the lines. And that area of the field that Itaba was patrolling, he seemed to cover that very quickly and got his foot on. And it always sort of reminded me of Etienne Capoue's long legs, how he used to stretch out a leg and intercept a ball or make a tackle. And he was sort of very much that. And and he didn't waste the ball either at table. I think he was, if he had the ball in possession, he'd look forward. If there was nothing on, he'd turn around and he'd just sort of recycle the ball to an available player behind him, either out to one of the fullbacks or, or back to the centre-backs. So there's sort of nothing wasteful from him. I don't know if he sort of tired a little bit later on. I, I, I'm not sure I sort of noticed as much of that from him later on in the game and maybe the fact that we're defending more but uh, yeah he he came to light for me first and then with Kuchka again very much full of energy full of sort of fire and passion sort of happy to get stuck in more advanced obviously we're playing a more advanced role than uh, um, Itebo you had cleverly probably more involved on the right hand side with Saar sort of providing support for Saar because Cathcart wasn't going as forward as much as Messina on the left hand side Kuchikov playing a slightly different role in that I think I saw more of him in terms of he was sort of making runs into the box, sort of later runs, being available for to pick up any pieces or looking for any crosses that might come in from uh, from Ismail Asar or from the left from Ken Semmer. So I think we'll see more of him as an attacking force going on. But then he was also equally happy to do that defensive work. He would, if the ball was passed beyond him, he'd be happy to track back. And I say track back, <laughs> that's probably... You, using it quite lightly he was he would make the effort to get back in make the challenge in from behind where the Villa uh, attackers perhaps not expecting it getting stuck in pushing the players off the ball winning the ball and then uh, again sort of recycling possession I was a bit worried he, he went flying in for a challenge about halfway through the first half where he got probably quite rightly booked and you sort of worry then with the way he was playing the way he was sort of tackling if that was going to cause us an issue later on in the game Generally, from yeah, from the new boys, very good uh, and very encouraging for weeks to come. I was really surprised with with Kushke because I, I had in my head that I hope he's going to be a Valon Barami type figure, someone to come in and really get a grip of that that midfield. And just to, you know, it's it's a really bad thing to admit, but but just by looking at him, it's a bit of the touch of me about the Carl Dickinsons. I'd made my mind up that he was going to be a real <laughs> tough nut, and I tried to force it to look at him. He looks like a real you know, tough, battle-hardened midfielder, doesn't he? But what I was surprised with and delighted with was his deftness of touch and, and skill. A number of times he sort of skipped away deftly from from Villa tackles in, in the midfield. So on top of everything that, that Jason's just described so perfectly, I thought he had that that little bit of finesse as well, which was a, a real surprise to me. And I think those two really shone for me Those in, in terms of debutants. And then if you throw into that mix, as, as Jay said, Tom Cleverley, that midfield was was awesome, absolutely awesome, all the all the way through. And you know, they heard one of the Villa correspondents talking after the game, sort of suggesting that Villa never got going. Villa were poor. It was a it was a dreadful performance from from Villa. Well, I have to take umbrage with that. I disagree with it. Watford didn't let Villa play because of that midfield. Uh, Etebo and, and, and Kushka in particular, I think, were just so busy, so non-stop, so aggressive, they covered so much space, were so intelligent with the way they played football, that they, you know, Villa didn't get a look in, you know, but Buendia, Villa's most expensive signing in their history, 
how many times will it be mentioned on commentary? Once or twice, perhaps. Just didn't get a look in. They weren't allowed to settle. And whilst Dennis and, and Saar obviously caught the eye for obvious reasons, I think it's the work that that midfield trio did that, that secured what was a comfortable win, really, for Watford. 3-2, and you know you read all the papers, and Watford survived late scare. And yeah, it did get a little bit watford towards the end, didn't it? But the reality was 3-2 did not reflect the performance from Watford that they imposed on, on Aston Villa. And I think that all started with that all-action midfield. And if those guys can, can keep it up then I think we're in with a with a massive shout because that was one of the imponderables, wasn't it? We had no idea what our midfield was going to look like with uh, Will Hughes and Nathaniel Chalabar sort of persona non grata. We we just had no idea, much like Emmanuel Dennis, how we how we're going to use him. We had no idea how they were going to knit together and whether they were going to cut the mustard. Most of us probably expected to see Imran Luza in midfield. So that was another sort of vague surprise for us. They hit the ground running quite literally and and didn't stop until until the various substitutions happened and yeah that midfield area absolutely key absolutely brilliant once again well, let's talk about one of those substitutions probably well you, they, some people are saying it was a one of the fastest goals anyone's ever scored i don't think it was it took 4 years and 49 <laughs> seconds for one cucho hernandez uh, to score a belter of a goal. It's it could possibly up be up there for one of those lovely highlight reels at the end of the season for goal of the season for just pinpointing it in the farthest reaches for Martinez to be able to not get it uh, and to, to score the third wonderful goal. Um, really surprised that he didn't start. Of course, you know we've seen a lot of him in pre-season. But Jason, what that substitution said to me more than anything, and and the fact that Mike's already mentioned all those players that didn't get to be seen. We have got depth. We have got options. This is a great performance, but there's going to be more to come from this squad, isn't there? I had to laugh about the uh, the Cucho substitution and, and goal coming so quickly. Not long before he came on, he was warming up with Troy. Um, and uh, the, the fans in the rookery end were singing Troy Deeney, Watford's number nine song. Um and I noticed that Troy, when that finished, Troy had a little word with Cucho. And I'd like to think he's saying, that could be you one day, my son. You know, you, you, you make a name for yourself. In Waffle Colours, That's uh, that could be you. And lo and behold, he did. I mean, what a, what a, what a brilliant goal. I don't think we're overselling it when we, when we say that. He's, you, you talk sometimes about substitutes sort of taking a while to, to get into the game. Um, no, such, uh, no such chance with that. Um, he's picked the ball up from from Cleverley's pass again, as Saar and Dennis had been doing. He sort of ran at the Villa defence, attacked them, causing problems. Um, and great technique. That that is such a difficult thing to do. That what he did to to score the goal and to put it in off the post, like you say, out of the reach of Martinez and probably ninety nine percent of any goalie. They're not gonna. They're not gonna get that there. What a finish! What a way to introduce yourself to Watford fans. I had to apologise to my uh, Opta colleague because, as you probably, I'm on the I'm on the a live call to to Opta throughout the game, and um, yeah, my professionalism, what little le- there was left of it by that stage, completely evaporated as I just erupted when it went in. So I'm right on the halfway line in the Elton John. I could just see it as soon as it left his boot. You can see the trajectory of like. That has got a very good chance of going into the back of the net. And so it happened. And I just 
erupted in this massive roar and there's a bit of a delay on the on the on the on my phone line so i just went and then the guy said "Uh, are you all right and then a split second later he went ah i see great goal and i was like yes indeed and it just capped off it felt like it capped off the perfect day that that smile on hernandez's face as it went in as he wheeled away celebrating i think that encapsulated perfectly how everyone was feeling i saw my uncle and my cousin hello rich hello dave and they said this has been just the most perfect day their parking spot was available when they arrived there was no traffic on the way there as soon as they arrived in their parking spot all the others filled up um the walk to the ground was sunny there was no queue at the chip shop uh, the sun wasn't even in their eyes sitting in the Sir Elton John stand uh, so he said he's going to buy a lottery ticket on the way home and it just felt it, everything went to plan didn't it and that Cucho Hernandez goal which uh, uh, a great finish but also brilliant assist from Mike Dean actually it has to be said as well because there were two fouls in midfield I think one one was on Kuchka and one was on Cleverly if I remember correctly both very very obvious fouls and Mike Dean let them go. He gave play the advantage, not for the first time uh, yesterday afternoon. And I think it shows that the referees are definitely trying a lighter touch approach this season. But after a lot of merited criticism, really, last last season. So for him to allow two two fouls to go and then um, Hernandez to score, I thought was, was excellent refereeing. Um, but yeah, just it was the... It didn't. It wasn't quite the full stop on the afternoon, but from a Watford point of view, in reality, it was, wasn't it? It just, it just put the bow on what what, what was a tremendous performance, and we've had high hopes for for Cucho for a long, long time. Um, this was the first time a lot of us had seen him in the flesh, in certainly in a Watford shirt, and for him to arrive on the scene like that will give him confidence, and we all know what strikers need: confidence. So we've had goals from Emmanuel Dennis, goal for Ismail Assar, who's smiling again. And a goal for Cucho Hernandez on his debut. Absolutely fantastic. And uh, yeah, thrilled for him as well. And just that smile just summed it all up. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. We've touched on it a little bit in terms of defence. Craig Cathcart playing right back. We saw him do that, of course, uh, in one of the best games of last season away at Norwich. Uh, For me, that definitely felt like, uh, you know, Ngakia was there. If Kiko's injured, great. Ngakia being what you would call a more traditional right wing back. uh, it, It seemed like... As you said, Mike, you know, Cleverly was up there supporting Saar. We want to make sure we've got five very defensive thinking midfielders. We didn't want to have too much being drawn out uh, where Kiko can sometimes do that when he's in his forward thinking role. But defensively, it, it, was, it was a great performance. Let's, let's try and ignore the, uh, the ridiculously drastic tackle that, that led to the, uh, free ki- uh, the penalty uh, from uh, Adam Messina. It's like, Adam, what were you expecting going to happen? But again, that was a big part we wanted to move forward, Jason. You know, from last year, we were strong defensively and bar a spectacular goal and a stupid mistake. They, they defensively, we had, we had a, a great game. Yeah, we looked, we looked pretty solid. And, and again, sort of before the game, you're sort of looking at it and thinking, OK, Sierra uh, yeah, he didn't get much pre-season game time. So I guess it's not a surprise, but you would, that's sort of part of you sort of thinking, would rather have seen him in the... Uh, in the back four and it's probably quite obvious what we were going to do in terms of Messina on the left probably going to push forward a little bit more Cathcart naturally is probably going to tuck in a little bit more from the right back position and he and he did okay I, I thought second half perhaps found it a bit tougher which I think looking at the positive side of that he is I think he dealt with Ashley Young pretty comfortably 
second half, I think you found it a little bit tougher when Villa had their sort of spell before we got the third goal. A lot of the danger seemed to be coming down Cathcart's side. They were sort of finding space, I think, between Cathcart and the centre-backs, sort of threading balls through, and Ramsey, the guy that came on, getting behind. All in all, yeah, solid performance. And also, I think we need to mention William Troosty-Kong. I don't think he misplaced a single pass. <laughs> if I remember correctly, every time he got the ball, I'm thinking, "Oh, don't do anything silly." But now I think I think he got it right every time. So, uh, kudos to WTE. I think we really do have to give credit to the to the two centre backs because I think, if anything, the the, the defence is probably our worry as supporters, isn't it? We know, you know, we love them all. Um, Cathcart, as you rightly say, John, had that great performance at, at Norwich at right back and we know what we're going to get from him. He's sort of kind of Mr. Sensible, isn't he? And he's, and I, and I love that about him and I think that that's why I'll always be happy to see him on the, on the team sheet. And when it comes to Christian Cabaselli, William Trustikong, both experienced, both obviously good footballers, but we know we've seen mistakes in them. Trustikong with his with his poor distribution from time to time, and Cabaselli can can switch off, can't he? But they di- they didn't really do that yesterday. I think the, the 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 second the first goal for Villa was, as you said, John, a really really smart finish from McGinn. Perhaps Messina not quite close enough, tight enough on him to to stop him getting that half volley away, but came from absolute nowhere. And then Messina again with a you know a brain dump really for that ridiculous challenge for the for the second. So you look to Adam Messina for for both goals really. That's being incredibly uncharitable. But across the piece, defensively, they they did well. You know, the two two shots on target that Villa had were the McGinn goal and the Danny Ings penalty. So that's obviously fair play to the rest of the team um, for working so hard. But you know, the defence has to take credit for that as well. Because what we couldn't do yesterday was take a beating. We had to carry on our momentum, and that a big part of that is carrying on the momentum in the defence. Because that's where we bossed it last year. We were the, we equaled the record for the best ever championship season defensive-wise. And whilst we've just mentioned how good the strikers will feel about themselves, how impressive the midfield was, well, the defence have carried on their good work as well. Yes, they let two in, but you can sort of mitigate against it to a degree. So that every... Every sort of third of the pitch can take huge confidence from from what happened against Villa. And I think that's a massive thing to keep that momentum, to keep everyone feeling good about themselves, quite frankly, and to to keep that keep the ball rolling. It's like we, we picked up where we left off. I saw a stat. I think we've won our last 10 home games in a row now, which is absolutely extraordinary, isn't it? Certainly for Watford. And just keeping it going was, was, was a big, big, big ask against a Villa side who we made to look poor, but there's high hopes for them this season. Their, their fans, I think, will be a little bit dumbstruck by that, by that result yesterday. So for, for the entire team, including the defence, to, to deliver such a consummate sort of overall performance was, was thrilling. And I think those guys, you know, Cavaselli and Trustecombe, they, perhaps they get overlooked a little bit and, and perhaps we're a bit uncharitable towards them sometimes. So I think, yeah, I think it's, it's right to, um, right to, to give, them, give them the praise they deserve. The perfect performance and a perfect start for the Hornets. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. On your way to Vicarage Road yesterday, you might pick yourself up a copy of uh, YBR, uh, the fanzine on sale, but you probably made your way down along the front of Vicarage Road stand uh, and saw the brand new mural of Graham Taylor. Funny enough, I was looking at photographs and I showed it to my wife and she says, oh look, there's my friend Dave. He's the man doing this, the painting. So I had a chat to Dave and uh, I found out a little bit more about what happened. His company, Mules, uh, were introduced uh, to Jono, Richard Johnson. And they were going to do lots and lots of things, but with the COVID and everything that went on with relegation, stuff went on hold. But they were introduced to the Watford Community Trust and they gifted the uh, Graham, Graham Taylor Mural uh, in the centre that he opened in, in Garston. Then one of the, the guys who works at the company, Mark, he got introduced to the, uh, the, the pastor at the church at the end of Vicarage Road, uh, opposite Vicarage Road, Richard Evans. Uh, he, I went, he went to school with my sister. This is weird. Uh, anyway, he is a massive Watford fan, and he was able to get use of the big wall next to the church, which, of course, is now where the mural lives. They've been working with North Hearts Council on a project which was in Watford, and so were introduced to the teams, and when they offered the club the wall, they grabbed the opportunity and said it was a must to paint Graham. It's a beautiful thing, and uh, I want to ask Dave, how do you paint something that lifelike and brilliant on the side of a wall? Uh, obviously, it's me and another fella. He uh, projects the whole image on the wall, uh, and he paints it while it's projected. And then he puts a few lines up for me on the rest of it, and then I colour it in, basically. I colour it in by numbers. <laughs> it's a bit more skilled than that isn't it so when you say when you say project up you know it's all done with spray paint and and what was it like doing someone like graham taylor for you he's a legend as far as i know yeah so i was quite um thrilled to be painting um yeah graham taylor on graham taylor day which is tomorrow apparently yeah that's perfect timing and aston villa as well as he was a massive legend in aston villa wasn't he have you done other, other football uh legends in terms of uh with, with spray paint art I've painted Bobby Moore, uh, Trevor Brooking, Billy Bonds, a couple in Liverpool where I did the Liverpool Legends with Robbie Fowler, Graham, Gerard, Van Dyke, Doug Leash and Carragher, who I met on the day actually. Oh wow. You know, this is this is your day job, but you know, how how's the football into the reaction from people? How's it is it, is it different from when you do other pieces of art? Well, everyone's so passionate about football, aren't they? When we was doing the Liverpool project, there's a lot of Everton fans around it, so they're shouting out abuse. <laughs> I think it's kinda of, I'm hoping it's tongue in cheek. But yeah, they're all shouting out abuse and vice versa. Rumi was doing the uh, Everton mural in the same sort of quarter. But what about the when you were outside Vicarage Road doing it? What was that like? Oh my God, the reaction was amazing. Everyone was just losing their mind. It was um, maybe because nothing like that's happened in the area. Maybe we were the first. Uh, but they just uh, everyone was just loving it. Is it going to stay? I was like, well, of course it's going to stay. In my mind, say that was definitely going to stay. To be fair, the, the other lads they did paint uh, Aguero up in Manchester on the last game of the season and that only stayed for a month so I kind of get that he does get taken down but no, <laughs> yeah. he's definitely a permanent feature Brilliant. 100% yeah there's always some people sort of see say, spray paint still have that that old approach to it but what do you, how do you think it as an art form how do you think it, it makes it better say for, for football or particularly where you put it I don't know why it's, it's better for football but um, well it's more permanent isn't it uh, it's more hard during so outdoor but it seems to be like 
now it's more acceptable art and uh, everyone accepts it. It's quite modern, isn't it? I suppose in in the art form it is. I suppose you've got to say because of Banksy's, everyone sort of thinks, oh, well, street art. Well, it's all new and modern, isn't it? So it's kind of got that urban feel as well. And uh, you've got the urban working class that football used to be, and it's yeah. all like linking up together. I suppose I don't think there's any affiliation uh, as such. I think I'm not saying we're the we're the first to do it, but I think everyone's been doing it. But we we seem to captured the market of street art and football together hopefully because we're going to be doing quite a few more projects actually where where can yeah. people find more stuff about the, the the work that you guys do and you know is there like an instagram where you can sort of see the beautiful visuals called uh, merwals so it's at m-u-r-w-a-l-l-s merwals so you splice the word mural and walls together <laughs> good, Merwals. Okay, good of him clever <laughs> um, so you can find all their stuff there i i think it sounds like Millwall, so i'm not too happy about it being a west ham fan Mike, you know, seeing that Graham Taylor mural, you know, really brought forward, you know, there's a quote on there as well, you know, what Graham brings to the club, which we think about and we have built into us now. Some computers come along and coded it into me is the, over the years. <laughs> yeah, DNA. The, yeah, but the, but the whole thing around it, specifically half-time, was absolutely the perfect Watford half-time. You know, it was very sobering and very in a, very emotional in, in a way. For those of you that weren't there, there was before and at halftime, there was a big tribute on the on the big screen featuring uh, pictures of, of Watford supporters and, and friends and family of Watford supporters who are sadly no longer with us. So that was hugely poignant and also a lap of honour from, uh, there was, I think there was somewhere between two and 300 NHS workers who have obviously worked incredibly hard in incredibly trying circumstances during the pandemic during this time you know we talk about how good it's been to be back at football and we all have our stories about being away from football but no one I don't think has a story quite like those people who have been working on the front line every single day give or take during this this unprecedented horrendous time and I think amongst all the happiness and joy and sunlight and smiles I think it was really important that at half time yesterday we did all take a breath did remember why it's good to be back remember why we've been away and remember that there are a lot of people who are hugely affected by what happened a lot of people whose lives will never be the same their families lives will be never be the same and there will be people close to them that will that won't be at Watford matches ever again there will be seats that were once occupied by people that will never see them again. And I think it was right and poignant and timely and apt that we took the time to remember them whilst also recognising those heroes, because that's what they are. Um, The work they put in under those circumstances was, uh, repeating myself, but I think it bears repeating, was was extraordinary. And to see them walk round the pitch, smiling, taking in that recognition from from a a packed Vicarage Road all four sides were on their feet the clapping didn't stop until the last member of the NHS had disappeared off into the corner and I think the reception they received was was wonderful I think the tribute that Watford organized overall was wonderful it was emotional it was poignant and it was it was apt and it was it was great work for Watford. Yeah, I just want to echo um, what a great job Watford did with that tribute. We lost my father-in-law in May, sadly, and he was he was part of our, our group. I, I go to football with my missus and 
her family. We've been going as a as a five, sitting together for the last twenty plus years. And on Saturday, we walked up as a four, as it will be for for the foreseeable future. So uh, yeah, Bob was on the screen. Lovely to see him on there, but obviously it's all sort of very sad circumstances. And there are other people up there that we know, and it just sort of hits home how much this pandemic has affected people and and whilst not everyone necessarily has been lost to covid just just seeing the number of people that have gone during that time and uh yeah how how difficult it's been for for a lot of people um whilst they may not have lost these people to covid it, it would have made the grieving process a lot more harder i'm sure the people that we saw on the screen there were people that I, I recognise people that we've spoken about on here before. As as we know, Kieran lost his dad to COVID. He was up there. Jim Mullins, Freddie Fincham, we've spoken about on the podcast, were up there. Even even my postie was up there, who'd uh, who sort of passed away recently. And just just the number of people that you sort of recognise, people that sit near us as well, faces that you recognise, and just just sort of goes to show how big an impact the situation has been and it's, and it's really sad to see but a fitting tribute from Watford FC to all those that have lost their lives and hopefully that's sort of been some comfort to uh, to their families and our fellow fans of, of Watford Football Club. finish off this first brilliant podcast of the season um well let's have a bit of a fun quiz about the opening games of the season not just any all way through history this is the ones that have happened since 2010 since we started this podcast yesterday was the 12th of the opening games of the season so our 12th season of doing from the rookie end and we've always done quite well of them you might have some bad memories uh of uh first games of the season but in, in the last 12 years we've had some we've had a good time seven wins four draws one loss and i've made a little quiz for you boys for the last 11 seasons uh i won't do all the questions now you can pick the season you want to have a go at uh, all the other ones i will put uh online <laughs> a little video online and you can play along at home uh, and you can see how well that you do with this uh, opening day of the season quiz for, since 2010. So you're going to play together. Uh, which year would you like to start with? Anywhere from 2010 to 2019. Well, Jason, you're going to be doing the heavy lifting here, I can tell, so I'm, going to, I'm definitely <laughs> going to let you pick. Okay, let's go for... Let's go with 2019 then. Let's, let's hope recentism's on our hmm. side. Okay, 2019, we started, of course, with a loss at home to Brighton. But who scored the own goal in that game? Which Watford player scored an own goal? Was it Christian Cavaselli? It was Abdelai de Corre. Oh, dearie me. Scored a good goal for Everton yesterday. Mike, your go. Which year? Uh, let's go for the year before that. 2018. Uh, started with four wins out of four. Can you name all the teams that we beat in that run? Um, I I think I can go on, Jace. I, I will. I'll work backwards. I'll go for. The, I'll take the glory one, which was the fourth <laughs> one, and that was uh, it. Was Tottenham, wasn't it? Correct. Palace was there as well, wasn't it? Because we uh, when Holabas scored that free goal. Oh uh, yes, of course. Yes, that's great. Two to go. The opening game of the season was Brighton. Yes, one to go. 
when we beat them 2-0 and Bobby P scored that, uh, that great... Well, he scored both, didn't he, I think, in that game. And the away game, I think, was that Burnley where Hughes and Grace scored? Yeah, yeah. It was. Very well done. I was, I was there, yeah. Jason, give us another year. Let's, let's pick a random one. Let's say 2014. The start of the 2014-15 season... Under the guiding eye of Beppe Sonino, we started with four wins out of five. But in that run, who did we lose to? That started with a a win against Bolton and ended with a fantastic win at home to Huddersfield. But one of those games in the middle, we lost to somebody. Who was it? Was was it Norwich when Ekstrand got sent off? Yeah, I think it was. He got sent (laughs) off quite early, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, he got sent off in the, like, the first five minutes, didn't he? Pick another year. Let's say 2013. Let's go back a year. In 2013, for Gianfranco Zola's second opening game in charge, who did Watford beat 1-0 away? Any ideas, Mike? Birmingham City. Birmingham City. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Michael. Hmm. <laughs> Whispering in your ear. And the last one. <laughs> we'll go back to the first one. In 2010. It was Norwich 2, Watford 3. It was the opening game this season. How many of the players who made it onto the pitch can you name in one minute? Ready? you got one minute. Go. Danny Graham. John Eustace. Marvin Sordell. Uh, who's in goal? Scott Loach. Um, yep. Uh, John Eustace. Yep. Troy Deeney. Did he come on a sub? He did. Will Buckley. minute for Marvin uh, Sordell. Will Buckley. Yes. Uh, Mariapa. Uh, Craig Forsyth. Uh, Mariapa, yes. Craig Forsyth, no. Oh. Um, Scott, uh, obviously, uh, uh, well, um, hang on. McGinn? Yes, Stephen McGinn. You've only got one defender so far, Mariapa so far. Ten Martin seconds. Taylor? Jordan Much? Martin Taylor, yes. No Much at that point. Uh, who's in goal? Was Scott Loach in goal? Two seconds. Have a guess. Scott Loach. We've already had him. <laughs> so, you got Scott Loach, Martin Taylor, Adrian Mariapa, John Eustace, Will Buckley, Stephen McGinn, Danny Graham, Marvin Sordell, and Troy Deeney. Troy Deeney's debut. You missed Lee Hodson, Lloyd Doyley, Don Carey. Oh. And Ross Jenkins, the second. So very good. You scored one, <laughs> two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Uh, Apostle 13. Very brilliantly done. Well done, Jason. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's a little little bit of fun for the ending of this uh, the podcast. Thank you very much for, for listening. Thank you very much for, for starting off this 12th season of From the Rookery. And we're back, of course, on Thursday uh, with uh, the podcast that we'll be doing every Thursday morning with Adam Leventhal to find out what he's been up to and what's going on in and around uh, Vicarage Road. But this this weekend podcast is, again, as it's always been on From the Rookery, is a podcast by a bunch of Watford fans who have been going for too long for us to remember uh, for you guys uh, and we always want you guys to get involved and, and share your thoughts of course you can do that via social media at what the podcast on twitter facebook and on instagram uh, thank you very much michael no worries thank you lads thank you watford and thank you jason uh thank you good to be back and it's great to be back when there's a brilliant watford performance and a wonderful watford win come on you on The Athletic.